Your property podcast comes to you with thanks to our friends at Trafalgar Square Finance, leading independent specialists in mortgages and all types of property finance. Whether it's buy-to-let, development or bridging finance, Trafalgar Square can help you organise your funding for your next property project. Exclusively to listeners of Your Property Podcast, Trafalgar Square offer a free one-to-one consultation. So whether you are a portfolio landlord looking to raise funds on your existing portfolio, or if you're just starting out and want to find out if you are eligible for a buy-to-let mortgage, Trafalgar Square Finance can help. It's easy to book with one of their experienced consultants by simply visiting yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash finance. You can find this link in the show notes for more details. Hello and welcome back to Your Property Podcast. My name is Michelle Cairns and today we've got with us Paul Stapleton. Hi Paul. Hiya, how are you doing? Great, thank you. It's great to have you on. We've got um, lots to talk about today and really it's for people who are interested in deal sourcing and it's a, it's a topic that kind of keeps popping up and of course it's a it's a, it is a strategy in its own right, but it's one that appeals to everybody who is doing everybody, every strategy, right? Because uh, you need to source whichever deal, whether you do commercial or service accommodation or whatever it is, uh, you need the skill set of sourcing. So I'm really looking forward to getting into uh, what we're going to talk about today. So do you want to give people a, a brief overview about yourself, your business and um, and how you sort of got into property? Yeah, so I've always wanted to get involved in property. Um, I think from an early age, I knew I didn't want to be an estate agent. I didn't want to work on the high street and deal with the general public, basically. Um, And it took me a while um, to work out exactly in what capacity I would get involved. And um, yeah, I I bumped into a friend who had a deal sourcing business um, on quite a large scale. Um, It's a company called Property Union which co-owned the buy-to-let shop. Um, it's a pretty big outfit. And um, I went on to manage their deal sourcing team because I was a sales trainer at the time. And I got the taste for it and I got the buzz. And yeah, it's been about seven, eight years now um, in the industry. I'm still here. I'm still going. I haven't been scared off yet. And um, yeah, it's a very volatile industry to be involved and it's peaks and troughs like anything. But um as, as you said, it's it's a skill that everybody needs, whether you're an investor or you're, you're a deal sourcer or a developer, you need that skill set of being able to find and negotiate deals. Yeah, absolutely. So did you bypass the whole kind of buy to let or rent to rent strategy and, and yeah. have you just gone straight to sourcing? Yeah, so it was, it was like a, a mutual kind of benefit. I had the sales skill set that he was looking for to be injected into his team. He already had a team of of around eight property sources um, that were providing stock to his sales team, Um, but they didn't quite have the negotiation skills and stuff like that to close as much business as they would have liked to to get to the growth that they wanted to. I had an interest in property, but I didn't quite have the skill set and the product knowledge. So I learned from them, they learned from me and um, it worked really well. I picked it up quite quickly and um, yeah, didn't really go into rent to rent. So it was mainly buy to lets, title splits, blocks of apartment, freeholds, that kind of thing. And um, 
I'd say sort of three years on, I found my niche on, on where I wanted to be, which was selling tenanted properties. So ready-made turnkey properties to investors. Um, and here we are today. Oh, so did you end up buying any of the deals or did you just focus on the actual sourcing part? Because, I mean, you know, why would you, if you've got such a great income coming through on the sourcing side? Yeah. If, is if, there any desire to? Yeah. If, if I'm honest, um, the thought of sticking 30 grand into a hundred grand house and netting 200 pounds out of it does not interest <laughs> me in the slightest the the route I went down was looking for refer product uh, projects that I didn't need to buy but I could do on an assisted sale basis so I could avoid all of the stamp the legal fees the risk of maybe having a down valuation so I typically look for deals that maybe needed three to five grand spent on them, negotiate with the vendors to allow me to do the works whilst under their ownership. But I took the whole of the uplift. And I think the very first deal that I did, we invested three and a half grand into just a light refurb and we made 16 grand profit. And growing up watching Homes Under the Hammer, that, that was more money than people made six to 12 months being heavily involved in a property with all the risk and headache and everything. I, I made that in two months with minimal risk. So the assisted sales strategy worked quite well for me. Um, and property trading was probably more suited to me. So I haven't bought and I haven't held because it doesn't fit where I am right now. Uh, I'd much rather be working my money hard and then using that money to build other businesses. So I have multiple other businesses, not just property. So I find that for me, I can use property as a great way of making money and turning my money over to make more and more throughout the course of a year and then investing that into businesses and property related businesses that give me a much better return on investment. Absolutely. And um, it's great to just see, you know, how, sort of how clear you are on, on that particular strategy. And it, it's yeah. there's lots that you can do within property. That doesn't have to mean buying property, uh, no. as you've talked about there. You can you can make business. more money. You can make more money deal sourcing than um, <laughs> than you can in a whole year renting it out. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, so you must have seen quite a lot of um, you know change within the time you've started in terms of the deal sourcing, what people are looking for, and what makes a great deal. So, how do you see uh, the trends? How, how have they changed over time? Yeah, I mean that more recently they've changed even more. Um, I'm I'm building a course at the moment, and this is one of the one of the ten steps that I'm I'm putting in, which is keeping up to date with current trends. And I think it's a lot of people go on a course and they learn what someone was doing maybe five years ago, and that's not necessarily how business is working in today's climate it's the same as my philosophy on university you're being taught business by someone who's been in a university for 20 years so are they necessarily teaching you what works today and um my biggest thing is networking constantly educating yourself and keeping up to date a lot of people are just interested in the money side of it sourcing more properties spending it showing how amazing it is posing for pictures with a set of keys for me it's getting around the right people learning from even at my stage like I still love meeting new people and understanding who you are what you do how you got there 
what's been I want to know about people's mistakes rather than their wins because I'll learn more from their mistakes um and that's kind of the way that I teach I, I teach on the mistakes I've made along the way as opposed to how amazing it is that you can make five grand every deal um that happens but you're going to fail more times than you win in property sourcing in my opinion anyway if you're if you're if you're growing constantly you're going to have lots of failures or, or learning curves so I've learned a lot um and I think it's always a, a sort of sitting back every every month with the team and saying right these are the things that went wrong this month what did we learn and how can we prevent that from happening and what should we do going into next month to ensure that we don't allow it to happen again so right now obviously the interest rates are the the biggest adjustment for us all and finding better deals for me the biggest adjustment has been adjusting maybe my fee because we can all say I deserve this fee but to what point to the point where you're not doing any deals um so so yeah it's it's adjusting and it's just always absorbing what's going on in 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 the world as well yeah it's uh well you're saying about interest rates we're recording this the 19th of june 2023 and uh you know the rate is just about to go up again um next week so there are as you say there it's it's not just about trends sort of over the years it's it's day to day at the moment isn't it yeah um so with the with the with the strategy of sourcing uh i'm sure like any strategy there's there's niches within that strategy so uh, how do you decide on what types of deals to source for people? Is it the sort of bread and butter, the most commonly looked for mm -hmm. deals, or is it the like most exclusive high ticket deals instead? I think it's a good mix. I think that's the honest answer. I think if you put all your eggs in one basket, then um, sometimes you're setting yourself up for failure. When I train, we always talk about chicken or egg. What comes first, the investor or the property? I'm a firm believer it has to be the not necessarily the investor but the persona of your ideal investor that you want to attract and then once you work out who your ideal investor is you work out what the ideal product is and then you position yourself so that you only attract those investors and you only attract that product and it, then it makes it a lot easier so for me I knew in the first three years of property sourcing that there was definitely a gap in the market for someone to come in who understands selling tenanted properties. Um, estate agents were just, they were just sticking on the market for so long. And it's because the motivation between you selling your residential home and someone selling a, a tenanted property are completely different, but they're sold the same way in a state agency, which is would you like to book a viewing every single time? And then before long, the tenant shuts the door and you can never get back into the house. So it was understanding those pain points and understanding what solutions we could provide to work with the tenant. So once I decided that was the route I was going to take, it was then working out what kind of clients would be happy to buy that product. And we worked out it would probably be retail investors and not property investors. Property investors like to add value, make margin, find a route to increase. But retail investors, who are typically your ISA and your bond investors, are just looking for a higher return on their money than they're seeing in the bank. Um, and then it was a case of working out where do we find those investors? And that's where the networking aspect came in. So for, for me, um, it was all about the upfront kind of preparation of having a clear vision of what I wanted to do and not 
finding anything and everything for everyone and probably achieving very little yeah that makes sense it makes a lot of sense so the tenants properties yeah I guess the agents were just marketing it to residential buyers not investors so you've really got that niche there um yeah that makes a lot of sense so it's the right move alerts that that I think is the biggest problem I think people set their alerts and they see the picture of the house and they book a viewing and they don't read anything and then when it when the call comes through and they say well it's got a tenant in or they turn up and it's tenanted half the time they say oh we didn't realize it was tenanted and I think right movies is great but at the same time you're casting such a wide net that you're you're encouraging such a big workload when it doesn't have to be that difficult you can work smart and not hard and just knowing that you are specialist for one product and that attracts one type of investor that if I get that product I could have 10 potential buyers there at any time that was the that was kind of the biggest mindset around uh the philosophy when I set up the business okay and what do you think of as a great deal then for you because and is there a such thing as a great deal or does it depend on the investor because somebody you know from down south with a pot of money just wants to park it you know maybe five percent return is just a great deal for them hands off uh but somebody else might think you know they wouldn't get out of bed for anything less than 15 percent return on the money so how do you determine what is a great deal i think what I think one of the benefits that I've had in in property is the fact that my foundation before property was sales. So understanding the way people think and how to get the best out of uh, any situation. So asking the right questions up front to determine what it is somebody's looking for allows you to understand what a deal is to that person. Um, I don't tend to attract people that want the eight and nine percent and above. Um, and again, I would class them as the property investors that are always looking for a better deal. They probably drop out just before exchange because something else has come up. And that's what I wanted to avoid. I witnessed that in my first three years in property. And I wanted the people that were almost like when you go to a financial advisor and it's um, it's advisory only. So they 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 come to you. And they just they they want your advice because they don't know what to do and they take your advice. Um, and that's what we kind of built. We work, we network with financial advisors locally to us. They brought us very, very qualified clients. And it made it a lot easier because if they came on board, they came on board on the understanding of this is the product that we source, this is the price point, these are the yields. Are you happy if we bring you a property of that criteria that you would take it subject to being happy with the area? Yes great you're you're part of the pool of investors now and it just makes it easier but um look a good deal is whatever like you said it's whatever someone deems as a as a as a good deal if if you're used to doing deals where you're getting 15 20 percent return on investment then a good deal at six percent isn't good for you but if you're used to seeing half a percent in the bank for so long then six percent is a great deal for you so again just doing the right the right criteria questions up front and understanding each person i think a lot of people naively think you can sell the same product to everyone the same way yeah. and um it's, it's it's not the case yeah i think that's where sources kind of get bad names themselves is that they just you know they're sending out one type of deal to a database of whatever thousands of people yeah. um, and they're not pre-qualifying like as you said before you're making it clear setting the expectations before people come to you yeah. And then 
once they you know once they're on board they're clear then you understand that you've got the right type of product for the right type of person exactly so, yeah and do you see that has changed recently with everything you know the cost of living and the interest rates etc yeah. are people having to be more flexible or is it a case of you've got to educate them on what's going on <laughs> yeah it's both so we've so we typically were working on the basis of a 6% growth, uh, gross yield for uh, retail investors. That crept up to six and a half. It's crept up to seven. And then we've, we've obviously what's going to happen this week, it's probably going to creep up to seven and a half. So it's adjusting, but it's also educating them now on the fact that the lenders are very pessimistic and that's been passed on to surveyors. So there is an expectation that there could be a down valuation, which has no influence on what the property is actually worth. It's just what the lender is willing to lend on. So we are looking at it that if someone has £30,000, we probably need to look at an initial deposit of 25 with the anticipation that they may need to stick another five grand into the deal if it's down valued. So again, it's, it's just learning look, we, we have deals that have been downvalued, they've fallen through. We learn from that. So everyone that has a budget, we always go five to 10 grand below their budget so that we have a contingency for anything that needs to be done if there is a downval. So I think a lot of silsers will always go at the top end value of their investors, probably because they're getting one or 2%, so bigger margins. But for me, I'd much rather secure a sale than be greedy and not not get the sell through because they can't afford to to proceed but it's a very confused market you've got a state agent still saying that we're selling at record high prices we're, we're not um and buyers think it's a buyer's market sellers think it's a seller's market and when there is a down valuation there is not that compromise where we're meeting that that loss halfway everyone's like no the buyer should take it and they're saying well the seller should take it so it's tough but again I think that's where sales skills come in negotiation skills and and like you said just prepping people before because you're anticipating it on every sale at the moment yeah absolutely and do you find that people are um you said that there, there's not really much negotiation so you're having to step into that negotiation role and do it for them <laughs> on each side I'm I'm quite bullish with my negotiation up front with sellers and because we're targeting tenanted properties what what I'm finding is and this isn't a bad thing that landlords have done but they've worked with their tenants over the last few years to make sure that they're that the rents are affordable so a lot of properties right now are underlet which hasn't been a bad thing for landlords because it just means they're not having the void periods that if they stretch their tenants they would have but when it comes to selling and they're getting estate agents around, estate agents are giving them that vacant possession, no chain valuation of what the house is worth. But what they're not appreciating is when people buy and we buy to let mortgages, it's not about what the house is worth. It's about the affordability and the commercial value of it. So if that property is 100 or 200 pounds under let, you're probably going to have to stick a 40% deposit in. So when we're offering now, we're having to really put forward our explanation as to why our offer is so low and that they're never going to achieve that price unless they kick the tenant out and they sell it at vacant possession. So we're taking less on, but we're taking on the stock that landlords are aware that 
they've they've not had the rent up to date and that they are going to have to take a bit of a hit yeah and do you just work with sort of a handful like a limited number of investors and then go looking for what they their criteria is um I'm just thinking kind of how does that work or do you Mm. are you always looking for deals and then when people come along it's what fits at the time so it's a balance work it's a bit of both so I, I believe there's three hats in, in a property sourcing business. You've got your sourcing hat, you've got your selling hat, and then you've got your sales progression hat, which is a hat that absolutely no trainer out there teaches anybody. And that's where the bulk of deals fall through. Um, my skill set is, is sourcing, like finding the right deals. Um, I think it's very hard for someone to effectively do the sourcing and the selling role effectively because selling isn't just selling a property. Selling is also selling your vision and gaining new investors so i learned i learned quite early that delegation was going to be quite important so i outsourced my sales to a financial advisor that i work hand in hand with so the financial advisor is out there constantly doing financial reviews um people pay four grand for a financial review so the suggestion of going into property they tend to take because they're financially committed to that person offering them the best advice um, and again, they only passed over if they've agreed that that criteria of what we source that one product fits what they're looking for. So we always know that there's going to be an influx. And sometimes we might get six new investors in a month. Sometimes there won't be any investors. Sometimes there'll be two. So it, sometimes there's, there's kind of peaks and trust with how many we have. But most investors that are coming on board have at least 100 to 200,000 pounds. So they're coming on and they're maybe buying four or five properties at a time so even though it's six investors it is maybe 20 to 30 properties so because I've outsourced that it allows me to find more and more stock that meet that criteria knowing that there's always someone at the back end bringing more investors in and then I employ a full-time sales progressor who's in-house and she progresses it so it's a nice conveyor belt that we all kind of we don't tread on each other's toes so I'm front end they're in the middle and then the sales progressor takes over from the point of sale and memos going out so it's yeah it sounds like a a good sort of pipeline there and a process in in the back end so okay and in terms of like people looking to get into sourcing then you know like many strategies in the property education world it's you know that there isn't as much regulation as perhaps there could be um Mm -hmm. what do you think people could do to sort of help themselves as sources to sort of um raise their profile and credibility and just competency in the industry yeah i think i think the biggest mistake people make is going to free events and getting lots of free information because there's such an abundance of it that you can so easily get confused it's like a big menu isn't it you go to a restaurant there's like three page menu you don't know what to order and i think Yes, at the start, look at all the strategies and work out which one you think you have the most interest in. And and also the biggest thing is location. Like if you live in Cumbria, for instance, it could be something that the right strategy for you is holiday lets because it's a tourist area, same as like Cornwall, for instance. But if you if you live in a city centre, for instance, then it's probably not the best place if you're looking to have professional family tenants because it's all high-rise tower blocks. So I think establishing the area that you want to look at, 
establishing the strategy and just making sure first that the strategy in the area come hand in hand is going to be essential. And then I would say invest in a, in a mentor or invest into a training program and just stick to one person. But watch enough free stuff of that person to see if you gel to them first. But there are so many people that are just education junkies and they jump from trainer to trainer and course to course and they they never end up doing anything because they're just so confused and I think you want a mentor that can help you to your first deal your second deal um, and I think a lot of people just don't invest enough I think that's the main thing and I'm not saying that because I'm an educator but I'm saying that because I was fortunate enough to learn on the job which I think is the best way to do it just get stuck in learn from your own mistakes you can't teach everything in a classroom or on a Zoom call. It's it's impossible. Like eight, eight years of things going right and going wrong. I, I can't reel that all off. But having someone that takes a course of one hour calls with me and we say we have that once every month, once every two weeks, every two weeks we can talk about what they've experienced, what they've learned, how they could have combated it better, what they should do next. That That's a much better process for me. But anyone that wants to enter sourcing with no money in their pocket, I think that they're, they're not going to set themselves up great. And obviously, you need the money to become fully compliant. Some True. some big hefty fees being handed out now for people that have fallen into the trap of this co-sourcing uh, co-sourcing strategy that educators are promoting. What sort of um, amount of money are we talking to get set up as a source? Do you think if someone's coming in? Well, the, the lucky thing is, is that not everything has to be paid up front. So like your insurance, you can get spread over 12 months. Um, you can you can pay like your um, ICO and that you can pay that like semi-annually. So I think initially you probably want 600. And then over the course of a year, it, it, it's probably costing you about 850, 900 pounds. But you, you make that back so quickly. And the thing is, I've I've heard so many stories of people just not becoming compliant, and then they're found selling deals on Facebook, and then they're hit with a seven grand deal, uh, seven grand fee, and it's like, was it really worth it for for that small amount of money? I'd much rather say I'm gonna I'm gonna take another three months and save up, and then hit it when I'm fully regulated. And I think the main thing is people have to understand that. It's all about first impressions. You you only ever get one chance at making a first impression. And if you if you come not prepared, you don't have your website, you don't have a logo, you don't have, I mean, like all these people that have at Hotmail or at iCloud emails, I just think you have to have a, a level of professionalism and ethics in order to be successful in this industry because there are so many people doing it the wrong way and it's very easy to be tarnished with that brush. Um, so I think you need to know what you're talking about and you need to just be professional in your presentation as well. Yeah, I guess for you, it's like, thankfully, you get to stand out much easier because of all the people who aren't doing it correctly. Well, yeah, yeah, you can you can capitalize on that. And it's just it's just unfortunate that there are a lot of people doing it um, the wrong way. But I do feel that maybe it has been glossed over how easy it is to get started and you don't need this and you don't need that by maybe some of the top people and they're not using their influence in the in the right way but 
I suppose we get that in any industry, don't we? Yeah, the high level <laughs> sales yeah. pitch, I guess. Yeah. But, well, yeah. in that case, well, what um, what do you think are some blocks that people get stuck on when they they okay they've got the money they get compliant they get started in sourcing, um, and then perhaps they kind of get a bit overwhelmed by all the different moving mm -hmm. parts involved. Is there anything that you think people get particularly stuck on, and how could they overcome it? I think uh, problem solving is definitely one thing. If you if you don't if you don't have the knowledge at the start, I think that's why you need to first of all surround yourself with with a good network of people. So um, today, I've, I mean, I've I've never been a fan of Facebook, but today I've just set up a Facebook group, and I've set it up because I want it to be somewhere where people can come and not only talk about their wins, but I want people, I want to encourage people to come on and talk about their, their losses because more people will learn from other people's losses. And then it will maybe be something that you're currently going through that you think, ah, that I, I'm not going to go ahead with that deal because that looks like the route that I'm taking and it doesn't look like it's going to work. So I think problem solving is, is essential. And I think if you're doing it part-time on your own, you're not around the right people, it can be really easy to just say, I gave it a go, it didn't work. I think a lot of people do one deal and they say, right, I'm going to see how that goes. And if and if I make money from that deal, then I'll go at this like full pace. And they just leave that deal to organically progress in the background. And then when that deal falls through, they go, didn't work. When in reality, it's going to take you three months to get your first money in. So you need to be building a pipeline of deals so that if one does fall through, you've got another five, six going through. And when you get to that three month period, it's then like a domino effect every single week or month, you've got deals being completed and you're banking money. That's, that's what people need to do. They need to go at it, full commitment, no distractions and not half-heartedly thinking, I'm going to do one deal and just test it out. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess finally, some sort of system. So if people are looking to start out in sourcing, uh, any systems that you can recommend to uh, to get going? Like like CRMs and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. To find, I guess, to find the properties and to sort yeah. of manage the, the flow, the pipeline. I, I mean, like everyone has this obsession with... Um, with you have to have off-market deals and you need to be direct to vendor, which obviously they add more value. Um, I can honestly say that I get so many deals from estate agents and because I've built a reputation up with them, I'm actually able to negotiate those deals to be taken off-market and for them to introduce me to the vendor. Um, because let's face it, if it's been sat with them for three to six months and they haven't been able to sell it, I'm doing them a favor by selling it to my investors so that they still get their fees. So I think, don't think you can't source good deals on, on Rightmove. There's there's tons of good deals on Rightmove. And also don't try to backdoor estate agents. Estate agents aren't, aren't your enemy. Yes, there's some really bad ones, but there's really bad solicitors. There's really bad mortgage brokers. But an estate agent can be your best friend for the rest of your career um i've got state agents we've, we've done 30 40 deals together now um because they see the value in in what i do for them yeah 
And if I was short-sighted enough on that first deal to think, I'm going to cut you out and I'm going to go direct to the vendor, well, that, that vendor could only be good for one deal. So it's a, it's a really short-sighted way of doing it. But I would say use the online portals. They're great still for deals. But social media, um, most of my direct-to-vendor deals come from LinkedIn. Wow. Um, everyone's focused on TikTok and Instagram right now. I generate zero business off of those platforms, but I've generated over the last five years, hundreds of thousands of pounds in commission from uh, LinkedIn. And again, it's it's all about just analytics and analyzing like every deal that you've Sorry, dogs are barking. Um, analyzing every deal that you've done. Who who was my who was my vendor? What what did they do as a job? Where did I find them and stuff like that? And then when you understand your client base, you understand where to look for them. So I found that most of my vendors were busy working professionals, typically at managerial or CEO level of businesses. So where do I go for those guys? Well, they're they're all on LinkedIn. That's where they do business. Um, and it was just a case of testing different posts, different polls, different strategies of, and, and going on just LinkedIn courses. And your education doesn't always have to be property related. Like there's so many skills that you can learn that are transferable through industries. That's why, as we said off air, we, we set up peak performance events, which we do marketing events. But again, we get such a big property crowd there because it's something that's essential in property We've done a finance event. The next, the next one we, uh, the previous one we did was um, all about TikTok and how you can capitalize on short form video content. So educate yourself outside of property as well, because that's how you're going to find the stuff that maybe your competitors aren't as well. You're going to have different ways of doing things. Yeah, that's a great tip. Um, fantastic. Okay, well, I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. Do you want to tell us a bit about what you're up to at the moment and uh, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, so um, at the moment, so we're doing the property still. Um, that business is still very much going strong, maybe a few less deals every month, but we're still going strong. Um, we've got the events company, Peak Performance Events. Again, it's an entrepreneur event in London. It's usually 250 entrepreneurs in a room, all looking to network with the right people and learn new skills. Um, and then I have my, my business training. So I have sales training made simple and I have property training made simple. Um, sales training is the part that I'm quite excited about because I feel like that's a massive gap in the property industry that people lack. So teaching you how to position yourself um, and make yourself a really strong and well-known brand. And then we've got the property side of it. So one thing we didn't touch on is what I actually do as a strategy. And it's something that I've called overage. So it's a way. Let's of, do that now. Yeah, tell me. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a way of making five-figure commissions um, from property sourcing. So last year, my average fee was £11,200. And that was based on an average sale price of 127 and a half thousand. Um, and that's a course that we're rolling out now to teach people how to do that. And again, it's all about the long-term vision, not short-term. So instead of taking your two and a half, three grand up front, you wait until completion to make a much bigger fee. Um, and the fees can be huge, like absolutely huge. And it's not just buy to let you can do this on blocks of flats you can you can do it on land you can do it on lots of different ways so 
we've got a course called Un Unlocking Five Figure Commissions that we're launching. The next session is on Thursday this week. So doing that, and we're going to be launching a, a live event very, very soon as well. So yeah, the education is definitely something that I've I've got a, a passion for just because I don't feel like it's being done right. And there are massive gaps in what aren't being taught, such as sales progression. Sales progression is something we're going to be really pushing for people to understand. I think that's where most deals fall through. Wow. Well, it sounds like you're good at spotting those gaps in the market. So uh, <laughs> I've learned the hard way. <laughs> I've had to. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, I mean, a lot of people just, you know, they, they don't even realize, do they? They just carry on regardless and um, think that, you know, what they did five, 10 years ago or yesterday is still going to be relevant today. So yeah, uh, it sounds like you're on the ball there. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Paul. You're welcome. Thanks for the invite. To have you on. Yeah, great. So um, for everyone else who is listening, if you are not yet a subscriber to the magazine, uh, please click the link in the show notes for your free 30-day trial. And we will see you next time. Bye.